0: Hello welcome to Goodwood for this uh, special Motorsport Magazine podcast in association with Mercedes-Benz.
1: The all-new Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Available from £269 per month. It's full of the latest technology. Just talk to it. Use your voice to control things like music, call friends or to help with packing the essentials. Hey Mercedes, how can I help you? Will I need an umbrella tomorrow? It is very unlikely that it will rain tomorrow it's a car that helps you stay connected the new a-class with mercedes me from just 269 pounds per month find out more take a test drive at your local retailer today
0: based on an a180 se on a 48 month personal contract hire agreement advanced rental 4708 pounds 10,000 000 miles per annum mileage and damage charges apply no ownership 18 years and over subject to status offer ends 30th of september mercedes-benz finance i'm joined today by brian Redman. welcome welcome back to the podcast really. i think it's been a while since you've been on on the Motorball podcast,
2: yes, it's uh, several years. I remember it well. Yes. It's the Hall of Fame, I
0: believe. Yes, yeah. Sure. So. Um I, but you're at Goodwood, obviously. Uh, and what are you driving? Do you know. Uh, well, because <laughs> last time we spoke, you weren't sure.
2: <laughs> I'm supposed to be driving a 1966 Indy car right. that Jackie Stewart drove and was leading at Indy until about time thats from the end when something broke and went down. It's a Lola, right. and also a Porsche RS uh, 2.7. It's very nice, but I can't find it, so... Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there are
0: a lot of Porsches here as well, aren't
2: there? So. There are hundreds of Porsches yeah, there's here. There's wood for the trees, I think. <laughs> yes, so. yes. Did you
0: ever drive the 2.7 in period? I don't think it's did. No, years.
2: no. I mean, really, the first time I ever drove a Porsche of any kind was after I'd signed a contract with them in 1968, at the end right. of sixty-eight, And I was invited to go to Stuttgart and choose whatever I would like. Really? And I chose a 911S, silver, with a blue interior. And then uh, left hand drive, German registered, and drove it back home to Cone in Lancashire. And then we had to use it for every race in Europe, including the Targa Florio. Thousands of miles. Really? Yeah.
0: Did you do your reckeys in it on the targa? Um I did
2: a little bit, yes. Was well, that like? Actually, Richard Atwood and I got a call from Rico Steinemann in early 1969, and he said, You will come to Weissach and to pick up two 911R and drive them to Sicily and practice for the Targa Florio, and stay with me and Marianne in Zurich on the way down.
0: Wow. <laughs> so they're quite a scary um, time doing the recce, because it was, a, the roads were open and you yes. we were then, how fast were we going on the well, recce? Well, we
2: are going reasonably quickly, but you know, as you say, the roads are open, but the most scary time, of course, is the one lap you got in the race car. That's all you got in the race right. car was one lap, you know, an eight hundred corners per lap yeah. I mean it's really for me a waste of time going down because you know you know when there's some bad bits when you see pe- spray painted on the wall attention Nino <laughs> this is where Nino crashed the year before you know, oh so. really yes. wow yes. when um, what was your favorite Porsche well I think you know I really loved the 908 3 built only for the Targa Florio yeah. and the Nürburgring I wasn't too keen that you sat uh, so far forward in it. And the first time I ever saw it was uh, in the winter of 1969 when there was a party to celebrate Porsche winning the World Manufacturers Championship for the first time. So here we are in Weissach, and the engineers say to me, Edmund, you would like to see the new 9083? I said, yes. So we go into a dark corner, and they pull off the dust sheets, and there's no front body on. I get in it. And I see that my leg is in front of the front wheel. You know, my feet from about a yeah. foot and a half up your leg, you're in front of the front wheel. And there's nothing there. There's a, an oil cooler about that size. So I got out and engine said, Edmund, what do you think was the new 908? I said, I think it's a very good car for Douglas Barber." <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I then had to explain who Douglas Bader yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: was it like driving that on the Nürburgring, Because when I think of the 908, I think of the Nürburgring more than I do the Targa. It must have been, obviously it's open, and it must have been quite a scary.
2: Well, it was, I mean, you know, although, and to some degree, the 917 as well. Because if you crashed in a 917, it broke in half across the cockpit. And so when you went to somewhere like Spa-Francorchamps or Le Mans or Monza, um... I didn't sleep very well the night before the races, I can tell you, but uh, the 9083 was the same. It, was, it weighed 1,100 pounds, you know, and it was 370 horsepower, and it had big tires, so it had a lot of grip, but no aerodynamic yeah. downforce. So on the Nürburgring, it was uh, fantastic compared to the 9082. Right. So how Porsche did this, this is all Ferdinand Pieck, who spearheaded the whole of the 917 program, yeah. So they're building these 25 917s. They're racing short-tail and long-tail 908s. There's 10 drivers, 6 Germans, 3 English, Richard Atwood, Vic Alford and myself, and Joe Sifford. And he's doing it at the same time. They're building another 908, the 9083. This is all happening at, all at the same time. It's unbelievable, really. And so to drive the 908 guys, was really fantastic. It was about probably four years ago at Rensport at Laguna Seca. Uh, They put you on the grid how they want you to be, not how you qualify, you know. So now in front of me is Heiss van Lennep in a 917. To his right is Derek Bell in a 917. I'm here in a 9083 behind van Lennep. To my right is uh, a driver with a 917, a private owner who I know is very, you know, he's determined to win. I know what he's going to do going down into the first turn. I got myself under van Lennep's gearbox about this far off. And this guy to my right comes across and, boom, hit me. So I said to him afterwards, what are you doing? This is a vintage race. Anyway, I managed to win. And and so I do love it. But with the reservation that I really wouldn't want to hit something. That's all. Yeah, of
0: course. So uh, racing in America, historic racing, is very different to racing, historic racing in the UK where you've got, it's kind of like, it's just racing, isn't it? Whereas in America, it's a little bit more of a show.
2: Yes, well, the top guys run pretty hard, but not like they do in the Europe, yeah. in the UK particularly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when they say to me for the revival, they offer me cars to drive, I don't want to be at the front no. of the field. I want to be in the middle or at the back. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's it like coming back to Goodwood every year and like just as we are walking then? Bumped into Johnny
2: Rutherford and yes, just it must be. It is fantastic. I mean, really, it's not so much driving the cars and seeing them, it's seeing all the old friends and people who you haven't seen maybe for a year or two years or five years. I was just talking to Richard Atwood, and you know, so it goes on. I mean, we know nearly everybody. Johnny Rutherford, he joined in the Formula 5000 series in 1975. USAC and the SCCA joined in together, so I know him very well. It crashed a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he can't hear you. That's why. Right. Um, you in America. You spent a lot of time in America, but you never actually drove IndyCar. So, you, you were supposed to drive one day. So did you ever come close to IndyCar or stepping up to IndyCar in your career?
2: Um, yes. What happened was in 1974, USAC, who were the Indy guys, joined in with SCCA, which I was doing Formula 5000, open wheel, single seater, 500 horsepower. 1,350 pounds or pretty light car, quick, quick cars. And so when they joined in, suddenly in came all these USEC drivers, Mario Andretti, uh, Johnny Rutherford, Gordon Johncock, Al Anser, Bobby Unser, and the only one who was really good was Mario. And Bobby and Al were, were good and learning fast, but you know, and I was offered an Indy drive in that year, 74, and I, I turned it down because I, don't want, I thought I don't want to spend a year learning how to do Indy yeah. when I see these Indy experts yeah. struggling in 5000. And then I was offered another one uh, in 77, but uh, my first race of the new year with the car, which was a marketing exercise that made us put bodywork on the open-wheel single-seaters right. and call it Can-Am yeah. because Can-Am had had bigger crowds. So the promoters all wanted the name bank. So now we've got bodywork on the open wheel car. Out I go in my car, I come in after 20 minutes, and it's good because Jim Hall and Chaparel, you know, this I'd raced for them, this is my fifth year with them. And so Jim says, How is it? I said, It's good. What do you want? And I said, um, Drop the front wing quarter of an inch, you know, it's not much. And on the next lap at 170 miles an hour on the main straight, it took off. So it goes 40 feet in the air, turned over and came down. Uh, the roll bar broke. I went down on the road. The helmet was worn down each side and I was battering. It broke my neck. C1 smashed his shoulder, split my breastbone, broke my ribs. Uh, my heart stopped. The ambulance blew a tire on the way to hospital and I was declared dead. So that uh, was 1977. And the week after that, I was due to go to India to test. So,
0: right. It never happened. Oh. Probably a good job. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it like for working for Jim Hall? Because he was quite difficult, he could be quite a difficult character. <laughs> to say.
2: Yes, I mean, he was very quiet, he didn't say much, but he led from the front. The team was a fantastic team, it was his chaparral team, yeah. Franz Weiss who built the engines. And you know, the main reason that, that I beat Mario for two years to the championship was I had better reliability. And so at a time when the 5-litre Chevy engine gave 500 horsepower, but not terribly reliable, that in my case, I had one engine failure in four years. And that was in practice, you know? So that's one of the reasons that that I won the championship. (laughs) So it was a great team. And Jim only ever said two negative things to me in the four years. At mid-Ohio in 1975, I came in after qualifying. How is it? I said it's good he said brian i sure as hell don't understand why this car is slower than mario's (laughs) i won the race (laughs) and then at pocono raceway in 70 again in 75 after i lost 500 rpm in top gear from friday to saturday and i said to jim we've lost 500 rpm he said boy i sure hate to change a motor the night before the race but we'll change it they changed it i won the race i rang him a week later. And I knew it had been back on the dyno, you know. And he says, I said, How's that motor, Jim? There's a long silence. He said, Brian, he said, I sure wish you guys wouldn't give us bad information. I said, What? He said, That motor was 10 horsepower up when we put it back on the dyno. (laughs) It was the wind. Oh. Yeah, it was the wind that had caused us to lose 500. So otherwise, we had a great relationship. And at the end of the, I think the fourth year, when we won the championship again, he said, Brian, he said, I've never had a driver who can drag a dead car across the line like you can. <laughs> Brilliant. And that came largely from my you know, long distance
0: yeah.
2: experiences and also being a bit easier on the car, a bit easier on the gearbox, and you know, that sort of thing. Because
0: yeah. Yeah. a lot, some people said um, he would sometimes um, maybe take credit where he maybe he shouldn't have done. Did you ever experience any of that, so John Barnard? Yes, um, I
2: know I know about that, of course, yeah. but uh, this was b- before the Barnard uh, days and so, you know, and I'm sure that it's been said he took some credit for the involvement with General Motors in the original yep. chaparrales. and I'm sure that's true, but I've never heard him sort of complain about it. He's a very nice guy, very very quiet guy.
0: Yeah, one of a kind as well. Yes. Um, now I should say uh, a quick word for our sponsor, Mercedes, um, you're a big Mercedes driver.
2: Well, my wife drives a Mercedes now.
0: Oh, well, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> well, um, yeah. if you were to go to Mercedes Benz World, Mercedes-Benz World website, uh, you can buy a drive and dine experience, um, which is a 4x4 experience plus dinner um, and onboard um, in the Goldwing Bistro. Um, so you're one hour in the car and then you get to go to dinner. So quite oh, a nice little wow. package. And you can, so to book that, that's 0370 400 4000 or if you Google or look up the Mercedes-Benz World website, you should be able to find details about that.
2: Can I do it in America?
0: If there's Mercedes-Benz World <laughs> America, I'm
2: sure they can. Or if not, there's, yeah, a, yeah.
0: there's a business venture, pitch that to Mercedes. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, also being here at uh, Goodwood, there's a big martini display. But on the way down, you were saying that you, you, obviously you only drove a Golf John Wyatt, you never had to the chance to drive a martini. There's quite a good story behind how when John Wyre <laughs> found out about
2: Martini? Well, of course, uh, when John Wyer became the official Porsche factory team in 1970, yep. he didn't know there was another, effectively, factory team, which was Martini, which was uh, his mother, in Porsche Austria. Right. He didn't know that, and so it was a big shock at Daytona when a, when a car comes from Porsche Austria. Yeah, And at the uh, we we're talking about the 9083, at uh, the Nürburgring in 1970, um, we'd had a slow pit stop, the engine was slow to fire up, but anyway, I'd got going and I was fourth and I'd caught um, Kurt Ahrens, who was co-driving with Vic Elford, yep. and I went on to win, and I'd passed him and I caught my teammate Leo Kinounil, and I think he was pretty upset because a friend of his, Hans Lena had been killed, you know, on the Friday, I think, it might have been Saturday, when his 908 turned over on the main straight and caught fire, and as usual, of course, there was no fire equipment. Yep. And so... Uh, I got into the lead, but when I handed the car back to Joe for the last session, it was again very slow to start, and soon after that, the engine seized. So in 1998, uh, they said the factory sent five cars from the museum that were going to go to Monterey in August for the big vintage event. They sent them to Sebring, and Bob Carlson from Porsche Cars North America said, "Can you go to Sebring and test the cars and write a report, you know, for Road and Track?" And I did this. And the mechanic who'd been working on those cars in 69 and 70 was Klaus Bischoff. And he's now the museum leader. He's the head right. of the museum. So I drive the 9083. And I was around. I come back and I said, Klaus, I said, you know, you remember in 1970, <laughs> I know that Vic and uh, Kurt won the race for Porsche Austria. And I said, but we should really have won, you know, but we had a problem with the oil. He said, Yeah, Brian, he says, in Porsche, Salzburg, we know about this problem. We have bigger oil tanks. <laughs> so, whether that was true or not, actually, I think it was. So, it was a fantastic car. But we went on you know, to win the Targa Florio. But the, the end of 1970, I made a foolish retirement. I'd been offered a job in Johannesburg, and I went. And I came back <laughs> after four months. I didn't understand the apartheid. I came back, so I'd shipped the whole family and wife children the car everything out all back again no drive except Sid Taylor offered me a McLaren M18 Formula 5000 but in April the phone rang John Wyatt uh, Redmond would you like to do the Targo Fario I said well Derek's taken over You know, taking my job uh, Derek's never done the Targo and you know you managed to win it last year so I said oh okay so off I go thinking yeah. it's a really big chance to get back into the big time so Siffert crashes the car the night before the race, the mechanics work all the night on it, they repair it, and on the morning, race morning, Wire says, Rebner and I, you, we, you should start the race. Well I never started, Sifford always started. I said, what for? He said, I don't want Siffert and Rodriguez knocking each <laughs> other off. <laughs> they was always banging right yeah. at, at Spa, which is a famous shot at Eau Rouge where they were hitting like this. When uh, Seppi came in after that practice, he said, effing little Mexicans <laughs> trying to kill me. <laughs> so anyway, I started and right from the start, the handling wasn't normal. Right. And so I got 22 miles around the 44 mile circuit, turned for a corner that was pretty straightforward and the steering wheel. And I hit a kilometre stone kilometer post right in the fuel tank and it exploded. And how I got out, I'm not too sure. Uh, you know, I hit the safety belt, held my breath, shut my eyes and I was on fire from head to foot, soaked in fuel and I just jumped and landed on the road and the uh, spectators came and they were waving, it was 45 minutes wow. before I got any medical attention and that night nobody knew where I was and Pedro Rodriguez and Richard Atwood came and found me in this covel of a place in uh, Termini Imerese, which was a village off to the side of the Targrafio, and they took me back to the hotel where there was a German doctor with Porsche who gave me pain-killing injections. And the next day, Gulf and uh, Porsche rented a jet out of Geneva, and they, they flew me uh, back to Manchester. Wow. Yeah, wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: kind of a strange time at Porsche then, when you had, everyone was going in the same direction, but they were, no one was really teammates, but they sort of across the team, on sort of wire wire. And... <laughs> well, it was, it was funny in many ways, because,
2: <laughs> because with six German drivers, they always say, because Sifford and I were winning all the races. It was a Sifford and Redmond have the best car. Yeah. Well, at the Ring we had a new flounder, and Sifford crashed it, so we didn't have a car. And Vic right. Alford crashed his as well. And we borrowed Porsche Salzburg's car, the Martin, So, yeah. and that's the one that we won with. <laughs> so, so that shut them up. <laughs> There's a lot of work that
0: uh, John White did that Porsche then basically copied
2: wasn't it so he was, yes um, a lot of his stuff yes I mean if you looked at the results from 1970 um, you would see that you know the <laughs> I can't say this because I don't want to upset Martini but I mean the Porsche were only won when we broke down yeah. which is effectively what happened yeah. so it was a great team John Horseman superb engineer Emanu Kugi, the famous mechanic Peter Davis great great team And Seppi was the best? Yes. (laughs) The only trouble is Seppi was he only had one speed, flat out. (laughs) You know it didn't matter what the situation was so in 1970 at Le Mans we're leading by four laps and John Horseman says he thinks it was five but anyway four (laughs) laps. Now Jackie catches Seppi driving the factory Ferrari 512. They have a big battle going on you know (laughs) all those four laps behind and uh, Jackie had an accident, a corner worker was killed, and uh, Seppi Mr. Gear. He came out of the chicane by the pits, and uh, there were three solar cars ahead, like this, all having their own battle and he goes Wah! right across to the right and squeezes between the car there and the and the pits and right in front of the Porsche pit, Mr. Gear <laughs> we all heard it go Bleh! those engines you know they you, with no rev limiters it was a yeah. poor difficult synchromesh gearbox which made the car slower but it helped the development of Porsche gearboxes of course yeah. and so that was a considerable uh, disappointment
0: yeah and obviously you then gave Richard up with the win so he must appreciate it yes he only started 14 yeah. or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah was
2: very, that, terrible conditions as well that year yes miserable conditions yes when when uh, Mike Halewood in the third car, crashed into that Alfa Romeo that was broken down. He got back to the pits, and the wire said to him, "Hailwood, don't call us; we'll call you."
0: <laughs> wow! Um, and
2: then,
0: of course, he was back in the mirage for years later. So it must, it must have worked out in the end. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah,
2: so brilliant.
0: Um, I, I think you're a busy man today, so I think we better let you join the Porsche parade, I think. Isn't
2: yes, we? I'm supposed to be. I'm sure it's running late. late yeah. yeah,
0: but thank you so much for joining us. I know it's been a very you. brief, but it's good to see you as thank always. Thank you very much. Um, and we'll be back um, soon, I guess. I'm not sure who we've got lined up, but um, we'll be back soon. Okay. Enjoy your
1: day. Thank you. Thanks a lot. The all-new Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Available from £269 per month. It's full of the latest technology. Just talk to it. Use your voice to control things like music, call friends, or to help with packing the essentials. Hey Mercedes! How can I help you? Will I need an umbrella tomorrow? It is very unlikely that it will rain tomorrow. It's a car that helps you stay connected. The new A-Class with Mercedes me from just £269 per month. Find out more. Take a test drive at your local retailer today. Based
0: on an A180 SE on a 48-month personal contract, hire agreement, advanced rental, £4,708, 10,000 miles per annum. Mileage and damage charges apply. No ownership, 18 years and over, subject to status. Offer ends 30th of September, Mercedes-Benz Finance.